Hi everyone and welcome to our organisation's podcast Informed. In this podcast we'll be chatting about all things allied health and how you can navigate the tricky world of the NDIS. So today I'm joined with Charlotte Brady-Burrup, who is an occupational therapist in the Maroubra team. Charlotte's going to be talking about working with people who have mental health diagnoses. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks, Rach. So, first of all, I wanted to ask, what made you become an OT? Um, I love the idea of working with people and doing something different every day. Um, Sitting down at a desk is not my strong suit, so I wanted to be out and about and talking to people. Um, I don't have to touch anyone as an OT, so I loved that idea. And I also loved that um, as an 18-year-old, not knowing what I wanted, it, there were so many options for me to try different things. So I didn't have to make a decision about where I was going to be. I could try lots of things. Amazing. And what do you love about being an OT? Um, I love talking to people and hearing their stories, brainstorming solutions with them. Um, that's what I really love about it. And I also love working with other health professionals. I find that people who are drawn to healthcare are generally quite kind and lovely. So it's like a nice environment to be in. That collaboration. It's amazing. So I hear that you're actually really passionate about supporting mental health participants. So how did you actually develop that passion? Ever since uni, it was just the subject that I was most interested about and what, um, kind of sparked my interest the most. I'm not very detail orientated, so I loved the idea of working in the grey and working with the whole person and just kind of talking to them. Um, and yeah, it was, I just wanted to, to find out more and work in that field, which is where mm. I was drawn to. So I find this really interesting. So mm. what was your life and your journey like before Better Rehab? So my first role was in community mental health in a care coordination role. Um, I was working with people who have severe and chronic mental illnesses, so people that can't be served in the public space. Um, People with really, really treatment-resistive schizophrenia or bipolar and really needed um, intensive um, support in order to function in the community and keep them out of hospital. Um, I worked in that role for two, two and a half years and then got a role in the same service but um, in a different health centre um, as a senior role, um, working um, with people who had a, had a projected stay in hospital, so three months or more, and needed help transitioning into the community and making sure that their supports were set up. So I was still doing um, care coordination, but um, also working in kind of that project space, helping um, those people transition to the community, which was really interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I imagine in that role you saw a lot of trauma yes so with trauma i mean that's what we see we see it everywhere Mm. so how do you broach this topic or do you broach this topic when it comes up i don't tend to i don't tend to bring it up um i think i mean we know that talking about trauma is extremely re-traumatizing for people and it actually has um studies have shown has the exact same effect on the brain as living that trauma so asking someone to rehash it um, can be really really tricky for them Um, I just let people bring it up if they want to but really I don't find that it's necessary to know what their trauma is in order to um, work with them and journey with them on their on their recovery journey Um, it tends to be that building up a different identity apart from that trauma 
is more therapeutic and can be more helpful than just sitting and rehashing it. So that's just so interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong. You're saying with trauma, instead of rehashing it and developing therapy and your interventions around that, in actual fact, it's just acknowledged if they bring it up, but it isn't actually the aim of therapy. So you don't focus on that trauma. No, especially because we're occupational therapists. We're not psychologists. We're not here to work through that trauma. We're here to help them regain function and join into the things that they want to do. So it's not it's not necessary to, and it's extremely re-traumatizing and re-triggering to, to go through it. I think it's a huge compliment to you if someone feels that they want to disclose that. Um, and it can be therapeutic to have someone listen if that's what they want. Um, but it's not it's not the aim. That's not where I focus. I don't need to know. So I suppose just, you know, because this is a, a topic that comes up a lot. Uh, is there a particular approach, trauma approach, if someone does want to hash out mm. their traumatic past? Is there a way or a method that you can go about chatting about their past? Yeah. So in everyone who's had a mental illness, you can I can pretty much guarantee everyone's experienced trauma. So coming with coming to everyone with a trauma informed approach um, is the is the best way forward. And really, that's just about acknowledging that um, that they've had trauma, listening to them, um, and being really kind and empathetic to whatever that they that they've been through or going through now. Great, and people can if they want to know more about trauma informed approach. I'm sure there's studies and you can articles. Just it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so for people that are new to this caseload, what I want to ask is, where do you even start? So you start with rapport, 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 boundaries and trust. That is where you start. It takes more time than you'll ever think to build up rapport and trust. So like like I said, so many people um, have such a significant trauma background or have been through so much um, and have built such a distrust with the mental health service, with society, with people involved. Um, and so taking that time to build those that trust is so important. Um, one of the things that um, I've come across is that a lot of people have lost hope, hope in the system, hope in themselves, family members have lost hope in them. And so it's so important for us to be that carrier of hope for them um, and to journey alongside them in that way. And that's a way that you can build rapport is just sitting there and being hopeful for their future and hopeful for them. Um, and also the boundaries is so important. So knowing your role, being able to um, say what you mean and mean what you say always is the best way to show people trust. If you can show up and, 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 and follow through with what you've said, that's the way to build, to build trust with people because so many times that that hasn't happened. Mm, that's interesting. So what are examples about not sticking within those boundaries? Mm, so that would be like um, over-promising, but also... Uh, or not showing up to appointments, but also it's more about um, boundaries in terms of knowing your in knowing your role, in knowing you know what you're here to to give and to offer. I'm here to help with your function. I'm here to make you know your life easier. Um, if there's other things, we can we can look at um, other avenues to explore that. Um, but sticking within that means that they know what to expect from you. Yeah. So if it's 
outside of your scope, yeah. acknowledging that yeah. and linking in with the correct people that can assist with that. Exactly. Being honest, what I've noticed is people who have a trauma background are really attuned to dishonesty. They can tell if you're not being upfront with them and they will shut down completely. So being like, actually, I don't know the answer to this or actually this isn't something I can help with. That's setting a boundary. That's showing that you, um, where, where your scope ends. Fantastic. Okay, this is actually pertinent to what I want to ask about strength-based approach. It's really important. Although our reports and with the NDIS, we do have to focus on impairments. Um, We can absolutely incorporate that strength-based approach into our intervention. So what I want to ask about for people that don't know what a strength-based approach is, what does it look like? And particularly, what does it look like in mental health? So a strengths-based approach is focusing on someone's strengths. And a strength isn't necessarily like this person's good at maths or they're really funny. A strength is what's around them in the community and what resources are there that they can draw upon and use or what previous experiences have they had before. So maybe they have worked before or maybe they have had a saving plan before or maybe they've got a really supportive mum involved or maybe they've got um, a pension, a DSP. Those are all strengths that they can then pull from Um, in order to use that to work towards their goals. So it's not looking at what's the barrier, what's in the way. It's actually refocusing and saying, what do we have to work with and how are we going to work with what we've got to get what you want? I imagine that's so empowering. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's really helpful. And it also builds um, like that positive identity, which is just missing in so many people with mental health backgrounds. They just have been told by everyone, even like, you know, not overtly, just being in a society that doesn't support mental illness they've been taught that they're not good enough or that they're not um, doing the right things or they're impaired so just literally shifting that focus to actually what do we have um, is super empowering and do you find that that really helps with therapy not only rapport building but also the acquisition of goals achieving those goals a hundred percent it's motivation Um, it, it sparks that kind of interest in that and again, it's the same thing as, as being having that hope. If you're coming from a strength-based approach, you've got hope that, you know, you can do that and you can, you know, you don't have to be into a necessarily like disability specific thing. You can, there's something in the community that you can fit into and that you're enough the way that you are um, is super empowering. That is fantastic. Now, assessments. Yes. Let's talk about that. What type of assessments should you use in a mental health setting? So there is an assessment literally called a strengths assessment. Um, You can Google it, it's um, readily available and that goes through um, all all I was talking about in terms of the strengths in their community and previous experiences. Um, The MSC is a wonderful clinical um, clinical reasoning tool. Um, It's really helpful to get a baseline of their, um, to get get a snapshot of their baseline um, and then you can monitor any changes in um, um, in that baseline. But in terms of reporting, I would use the HONOS and LSP. That's something you can do not with not with them because it's more impairment focused. Um, it's a good snapshot of you know how their mental illness impacts their functioning. Um, but I wouldn't be doing those impairment based assessments with the consumer if we're looking at a strength based approach because that kind of takes away from all the things that you're trying to build up in in therapy. Absolutely. So you go back to the office and do that in the office. It takes 10 minutes. It's super Mm. quick. Yeah. So you were talking about before an assessment that talks about um, 
positive reinforcement of the voices that they hear. Yes. Do you want to talk about that as well? Yeah, so um, it's a kind of like an intervention tool. It's called the Maastricht Interview. <laughs> and um, that is, that's also readily available. Just Google um, Maastricht Interview. And that explores um, what their voices are what they say, where someone thinks they came from, um, and kind of goes into really um, quite a lot of detail into, um, into you know, those voices and, and where they've come from. And that in itself can be really empowering for people to just speak about them. It takes the power away from these voices because oftentimes, you know, we all have things, things in our heads telling us things. And as soon as you say it out loud, someone goes, oh, that's a bit silly. And you go, oh, that is a bit silly. So even that is, is huge. It takes that kind of shame and power away. And the Maastricht interview was developed by people who hear voices. So it's really evidence-based and it's, it's, it's a really wonderful tool. Right. So that's sitting more in the intervention yeah. side of things. Mm. So really good segue then. <laughs> what are some other interventions that um, you could focus on? I tend to focus on their goal. That's the intervention. You're, you're, setting, you're setting goals and then working towards them. So whether that be that they want to get a job, that they want to go to the beach more, anything like that, um, I, I would focus on, on that. And then the strengths-based approach would be only focusing, focusing on that goal. Like for example, I've got a um, client who wants to become a professional rapper. Um, we're focusing on that role of become or that goal of becoming a professional rapper. So we're saying, okay, to do this, he needs to busk this amount of times per week. He needs to um, record his YouTube this amount of times per week, and then the routine and the self care and our kind of OT stuff comes in naturally to that because if you have to be um, at central at central station to busk at eleven a.m., you need to have showered, you need to have brushed your teeth. Um, and you need to be there on time and figure out a route to get there. Um, but telling someone to brush their teeth isn't motivating. But saying, hey, in order to get money, you can't smell. Why don't you do it this way? That's way more motivating. And then they're actually achieving their goal of becoming a, prof- a professional rapper, if that's what they want. Interesting. Yeah. So it's really focusing on functional, yeah. their function, yeah. but also motivation tools as well. Yeah. You know, what really their purpose yeah. And I think that doesn't just apply for mental health. That mm. applies across all different settings, all conditions, all clients. Yeah. It's a really good way of kind of forming your therapy mm. and your intervention. Amazing. So what happens if someone doesn't want to engage in therapy? This comes up quite often. So you get people that are demotivated, you go out there and, oh, I don't really want to do it today. So what would you do in that situation? And what do you recommend? Mm. In terms of engagement, I think it, there's two different um, types of non-engagement. Well, it's probably lots, but... Um, two different there's one there's one where people just don't want to engage and I think in the mental health space a lot of the um, model of care is quite restrictive Um, they have to come and they have to have their medication and they have to do this they have to see a psychiatrist and so them not wanting to engage with you is an act of resistance it's an act of them taking some control and power back and I just say power to them we're a private practice we don't have to enforce therapy on people if they don't want it Um, And that can be empowering enough. And then they know that if they want to do it, they can come back to it. And they're way more likely to if you go, okay, well, we'll come back when you're ready. Um, That gives them a bit of control and autonomy back. There's also the type of engagement where, or non-engagement, where people are unmotivated and they're kind of um, 
don't don't really want to but you can tell that they have that they have those goals or you're trying to it's hard to find out what those goals are and I think for that it's just time and rapport and going back to what we were saying before about just changing the setting going for a coffee being like okay that's fine let's talk about some other things getting to know them um, them getting to know you and building that trust is kind of the way forward in terms of building that engagement of being like okay cool that's fine what do you want to do what do you want to talk about where you know and that can be that might take months to get somewhere but you you do eventually i promise (laughs) so you just keep going just keep going Mm. just keep turning up yeah if they they want it (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah okay so tell us lastly uh success against the odds story well i have a client in this role actually um he's a young guy he's 27 he's got um a diagnosis of treatment resistant schizophrenia so he's on clozapine which is the most um it's kind of the last resort type of medication um and he before he became unwell he was a plumber he was working full-time he had friends um, and then he became unwell and everything just kind of stopped and he stopped showering, he stopped leaving the house, he just lost all motivation to do, to do much at all and just kind of didn't think that he could. Um, but we came in and we just started talking about, um, you know, not talking about his mental illness because he didn't identify with it, so that's fine. We just started talking about things that he likes and doing, we did the interest checklist together even and... Um, exploring lots of different things. It took me a while because I'd first started, I was like, I don't know if we're not making any functional gain. Like, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing in this role. Um, I feel like I need to have an outcome. And we started exploring things like working with animals. We were looking at getting a job. We started doing resume things. Um, But that kind of was more opened up the space to explore what was possible and what was out there. Um, and he eventually wanted to decided that TAFE was going to be the option for him and then he wanted to do um, music and so we ended up going to the career counsellor together because just even getting him out of the house was tricky um, and we discussed options and he picked a course and now he's in TAFE full-time which is just awesome and he said to me the other day he was like oh yeah I went to the barber and got a shave and a haircut because I don't I want to look like everyone else in my in my year so that's a perfect example of how that self-care stuff comes naturally if they're doing something they're motivated to do absolutely they're not done they can see that they're you know that they smell or that other people are looking at them funny absolutely Um, and that's something that you know he did on his own yeah that is fantastic Mm. now I suppose the last question to wrap it up that I wanted to ask you is tell us do you have any advice for any people that want to venture into the world of mental health or people starting out as well it's not scary it's really not and it's not um it's not as hard as you think really that it's just having a chat and having a conversation and that in itself is therapeutic um and it's getting to know people and and working through that um you know it that's really the crux of it mm-hmm. is just figuring out what they want and how you're going to help them get there mm-hmm. is that's the hardest part. And it sounds like it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Working with people along the long haul, they've got, you know, longstanding lives that they've lived. And so, you know, you're coming in at a point, you don't know where you're coming in at a point and you've just got to work with what you've got and be accepting of how they are right then and there and not try and change them, try and work with them to do whatever it is that they want to do 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you.